outgoing than others, but but um, because a few of you are brand new to me just since Niall started here a couple weeks ago, and that is really neat. And uh, I'm excited to have to tell you that many of you were not here when I preached my first sermon here two and a half years ago, so that is really something special. That sermon was about the coming and going of pastors from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul gives us a couple of wonderful metaphors to help us understand what God is up to when he's moving pastors in and out of our churches. There are two great metaphors there. There was the metaphor of the field. Every church is a field. God himself is the Lord of the harvest, and we pastors are like migrant workers Migrant workers with specialties, and God moves us in, and then he moves us on when he's done with us, and he moves us to a different field. And in the second metaphor there in 1 Corinthians 3, he compares churches to building projects. God is the general contractor, and we pastors are subcontractors, like plumbers, electricians, rough carpenters, Finnish carpenters. We have our specialties, and God moves us onto the work site, and he uses us, and he gets done with us. And he moves us on to the next work site where we need to go. And we saw two great lessons from that passage that morning. We saw that we each need to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, for becoming like Jesus. Because we can become like Jesus whether we have eloquent pastors or ordinary pastors. It's really up to us what we do with what they teach. And then the other great truth from that passage was that we have to trust God. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the general contractor. He knows what he's doing. And when he moves a pastor out of our lives and we find ourselves grieving, we can go ahead and grieve, that's fine, but then we need to get done with it and get on with the rest of our lives because he needs us to be joyful. And if we are we find ourselves angry when a pastor has been moved out of our lives. We need to deal with that anger in godly ways that are helpful and get over it because God needs us to be joyful for the rest of our lives. So since that day, two and a half years ago, Pastor Rick Jacobson, my predecessor, became the interim pastor down in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and he got done with that assignment. And then he became long-term pastor of a church down in New Ulm, Minnesota. Since that day, uh, Pastor Eli got done with his ministry here and moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. Since that day, Pastor Niall left a bunch of people grieving down in Watoma and has come up here to join us. And now, as the Apostle Paul put it in another passage of Scripture, he said, the time has come for my departure. And uh, that little figure of speech was about my ship is leaving the port, and I've got to go get on it. And so it is with us. The time has come for our departure. Our work here is finished. I was going to say we will miss you, but actually we're already missing you because the last couple of weeks I've been kind of backing off the scene, and I've been missing you already. We are really going to miss you. You are as godly and as lovable as any group of Christians we have ever known Anywhere, And this is the only church where we have been uh, treated to fresh bluegill for supper and had walleye delivered to our door 
and been given copious amounts of maple syrup and jam. We will remember it forever and ever and ever. God will bless you. Oh, how he will bless you, and he's blessed you by giving you a wonderful long-term pastor in Pastor Nile. One more metaphor for you that I have uh, from the Apostle Paul from Second Timothy 4, verse 7. He says, I have finished the race. And the term means that he, I have run the course that was set before me. I've gotten done with it, and now I'm resting at the finish line. That's the idea of run the race. And many have likened that little passage, that little phrase to he has run a relay race. He's run his part. He's turning his ministry over to his younger colleague, Timothy. He's handing off the baton. So Pastor Nile, bless his heart, can you come join me now? Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been giving him copious amounts of paperwork, which will be no surprise to some of you, and dozens of file folders, the poor guy, and uh, a little uh, computer travel drive with dozens and dozens of files on it. And now he's going to get my key. He's got a couple already, but he gets mine. <laughs> and, uh, and best of all, he gets the baton. Hey. And we discussed this, and we said we just better not drop it. So right. The, the symbolism would be really bad. But in giving, in giving Pastor Nile the baton, uh, I am giving him this morning the responsibility of teaching you and the responsibility of leading you, and the responsibility of training you, and the great joy of uh, getting to know you, loving you, watching you grow as only a pastor gets to. So we're handing that all over this morning. And if I could, I'd like to lead us in prayer just one more time. Okay, can I do that? Okay. Father, we are often mystified by, confused by, and sometimes we just don't like your decisions in moving uh, your migrant workers, pastors on and off the field, construction workers on and off the site like Niall and myself and Eli and Pastor Rick. But we trust you. We have to trust you. You are the Lord of the harvest. You're the one who knows what you're doing. And we pray that as we go through some of these transitions and as church members, we're not always happy, but help us to trust you. Help us to keep on growing. Help us to regain our joy so we can serve you powerfully. And uh, Father, as, as your servants, your migrant workers, your uh, subcontractors. We're not always crazy about moving and moving and moving again and having to say goodbye to people and then try to learn new folks. But again, we trust you. And we are thrilled this time in your bringing Pastor Nile and Christy and Derek and Braden and Caitlin to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. And we pray for your great blessing upon them, for your wonderful growth for them, and you're using them. We pray for Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church that you would make it more and more powerful, more and more beautiful, more and more like Jesus. This is a church 
which seeks to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the community. And day by day, Father, would you make these hands and feet of Jesus as beautiful, as grace-filled, as truth-filled as his were, as he served people. Thank you. We trust you. We thank you. We love you. The Lord of the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Um, it's just been a thrill to be able to work with you, and uh, I don't know where you went. You sneak out the back already? Don't let him go yet, okay? Don't let him go yet. <laughs> so, um, in a few short weeks, we'll be having, I'll be doing an installation service for me, and uh, that'll be September 30th, Sunday. We'll have a gentleman from the district office, Rob Wisey, will be here for that, and also my mentor from Watoma, Pastor Al Spittler, should also be here for that. So, um, I love both of those guys, and... Uh, Excited to be able to be part of that installation service on the 30th. So um, that is that. So otherwise, I want to get right to it this morning. So if you would, grab a Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Uh, Verse 45. If you're using one of the Bibles in your pew, it's page 745 if you want to. Get there quick. I'll also say um, we've continually been welcomed here, you know, three weeks in and we're still warmly welcomed by everyone we meet. Um, I see people, I was in Triggs in in Eagle River and I didn't know someone there, you know, and they came up and introduced themselves to me and just everywhere I go. So thank you for that. One of the things we really find interesting, and and I really kind of like this uh, somewhat, is uh, in Watoma, when we drive, we always see deer. I mean, because it's it's woodsy in Watoma as well. But the deer usually run away. Here they don't do that, I noticed. Uh, They must be be as friendly as you folks are. I don't know. But uh, it's like they just stand by the road watching, you know. And we kind of drive and we stop and we look and they're just like right there. You could just reach out your hand almost. And uh, I, I don't know. As long as they're not standing in the road doing that, we'll, we'll be okay. But um, beside the road, I suppose. So we've loved the wildlife, um, and uh, we're trying not to kill it while we're driving on the way home every time. So anyway, uh, let's get to it this morning. Uh, on the front of your bulletin, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know we've been looking at the, uh, the mission statement of this church. We exist to connect people with God through Jesus Christ grow to be like Christ, and serve others. And this is the last week we're going to look at this. Um, Obviously, we're going to refer to it a lot, but the last week we're going to spend a whole sermon on this for a while, and that is the serve others. I've referred to this sometimes as this is our promise to the world. When people come in here and they say, what's this church about? And they read this, they should be able to read this and say, oh, this is true, I I see this. If they spend some time with us, they should say, oh, I see people growing. I see people serving in this church. This is a church that keeps its word. This is what we're doing. So I want to look at the last one, serving others. And by doing that, I want to look at an extremely notable example of Christian service in the widow that gives an offering to the temple. So if you look at that with me, let's check it out. Luke uh, chapter 20, verse 45. We're starting a little bit before the story to kind of set it up a little bit. This is Jesus' final week before the cross. Okay, so 
if you were going to die in a few short days, I think you would be thinking a lot about your coming death. And so I think these things are on Jesus' mind, and he's in the temple, and, and people are questioning him. The religious leaders are questioning his authority. They're trying to stump him with hard questions. That was the Sadducees asking about the resurrection, and if, you, if you've been married to a few different people, who are you going to be married to when you get resurrected? Uh, they're trying to stump him, and uh, Jesus pushes back also in verse 45. Look at this. Look what he says about some of the religious leaders. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And we'll stop there for a minute. Um, What is going on here? Well, amidst the questions and the challenges of Jesus that he's getting on this final week before the cross, you see him push back against the scribes and he says, I don't want you to be like them. They, they love wearing their robes. Uh, we don't maybe do that so much, but, but he says they also love places of honor. They like to be greeted. They like to be seen. The, these are people that are they're religious leaders. They do good works, but there's a sense where all of their service, all of their service is motivated by honor me, give back to me. In fact, he says, they go so far as they devour a widow's home. I mean, the the idea is some sort of creature that's taking a widow's home and and swallowing it and eating it whole. You know, it's it's this monstrous sort of thing to have a religious leader that's really only out for themselves. And he says, I don't want you to be like that. Don't, don't, Don't be like them. In fact, then later he goes and he positions himself in a place where he can watch people as they give their offerings and he points out someone that they are actually supposed to emulate, someone they're supposed to model, this widow. And somehow Jesus knows what she gave. She knows what she gave, how much she had to live on. He knows what other people are giving. The rich people are giving their gifts as well. And he knows this is just a a fraction of, of their great wealth. But for her, it's all of her wealth. So we ought to stop for a second before we say anything else about serving other people and realize Jesus is the omniscient judge of our good works. That's number one. Jesus is the omniscient judge of our good works. Anything that we will do, he's watching it. He's the judge of it. So he knows if we're like the scribes and we serve so that people notice us. He knows that. I often think about this this kind of passage and the passage where it says you're supposed to do your good deeds in secret so that your heavenly Father rewards you. That's Matthew chapter 6. I often think of those and think, man, it's a danger for some of us that have public ministries. You know, everybody knows what you're doing because you can tend to get some of the praise for that. Good sermon pastor or whatever. I have a very public sort of service which makes it even more vital that I have secret service as well. That that I do things that no one can praise me for. That no one can honor me for. Only the Father can honor me for. It's a push to to me to say, why do you do what you do? 
Do you preach so that people think you have nice words to share? Or do you preach because you know this is what God has called you to and you want to see the church grow? Why do you do what you do? I remember one day I was speaking with a person and this is a person that has very poor hygiene. No one I've met here, just to let you know. And uh, very poor hygiene. And, and this person smelled really badly. And I remember talking to them. And, and you know, when you talk to someone like this, sometimes it's like almost a wall of smell. It's like, you know, if you walk too close, boom, you're going to hit the wall and it's going to, it, it hits you and it kind of almost knocks you out. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to stand at a safe distance from this person and I'm going to breathe through my mouth as I talk. Okay? Some of you are going, you know, making sure here, you know. So I'm breathing through my mouth and I'm talking to this person, making sure. And I'm not kidding when I say it really was overwhelming. I mean, the smell was really bad. And, and, and uh, I saw another person from the church walk up to this person that I'm talking to and embrace them. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking about this. And I'm like, this person wants to hug, apparently. And what if I'm next? Would I be that willing? And first of all, I'll tell you, I, I probably failed one of the tests because I didn't, I didn't open my arms like this. Okay? I, I didn't do that. I thought, if this person approaches me, well, well then I'll hug them back. because That's what I've got to do. But if they don't approach me to give me a hug, I probably won't do that. And so I didn't. Later, I'm thinking about that because I like to reflect on ministry experiences throughout the week. What is God doing in me and through me? And what do I learn about myself? And I thought, what, what's going on there? A- am I really going to hold this person at arm's length because of a hygiene issue? Or will I embrace them the way Christ does? Who am I? Do, do I serve just so that I can get some praise and honor? Or do I serve in ways where God says, I see what you did there. I know that was uncomfortable, but I'll reward you for it. Is that the kind of service I'm giving? Because Jesus is the omniscient judge. Jesus positions himself in the temple, in this passage, in a place where he can observe what's going on. Who's giving what? Have you ever given the offering like Jesus is like looking over your shoulder? You know, I don't know if we feel that way or think that way, but, but he is watching. He does see what we give. He does see what we do because that's who he is. He's always watching. He's observing and he's judging. He sees the motivations of our heart as we do what we do. One time I was, uh, I was uh, in, a, in a church planter's training uh, over two or three days. And, I, and it was not only training, but it was also observation. They'd put us pastors at this table in the middle uh, and, and, and we would talk about ministry and what we would do here or there. And all of the observers, the, the, the pastors and the ministry leaders would sit on the outside circle and they were just watching. Talk about a fishbowl, right? And you had this awareness that anything you did, anything you said, they've got their notebooks out and they're writing it down. That's very awkward and uncomfortable. Fortunately, I think for Jesus, he's not sitting there going, oh, look at this. But, but we ought to have the understanding that he is watching what we do and he is observing and he is judging what we do. So how are we doing what we're doing? When you serve someone, what's going on in your heart? Do you have that thing that says, I hope someone saw me do that? Because that's not good. And I've caught myself doing that far too often. So Jesus is the omniscient judge of our good works. Fortunately, I don't think he's going to show up on a Sunday here and point you out like the scribes and say, oh, look, you know, and, and, and do that. But, but 
we ought to be looking at our lives and trying to judge our own motives because that's what he's helping us do. Okay, so as we serve, he's watching. Secondly, though, let's talk about the widow for a second. It says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 21, Jesus sees the rich people putting their gifts in the temple treasury. This is The temple treasury is, is a place where the offerings are stored and he sees, uh, verse 2, a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. And then he says, this poor widow's put in more than anyone else. This is all she has to live on. Verse 5. The poor of Jesus' state. By the way, if you're in a community group, you're going um, to take a, a handout out there, and I do a little study on the poor in, in the Gospel of Luke, because I believe Luke really wants to emphasize poor people in Jesus' ministry. You're going to see that throughout Luke. If you looked at other ancient Jewish writings uh, of this day on the topic of the poor, you're going to read books like 4th Ezra, it's not in the Bible, don't look for it, Sirach, it's not in the Bible, don't look for it. But you're going to read these kind of writings, and if you look at those writings, you're going to read things about the poor in them. And you're going to read things like, the poor don't have the same knowledge as the rich. They don't have the same knowledge of God. God is not blessing them the way He's blessing the rich. In fact, you'll read things like, the poor are not going to receive honor the way the rich receive honor. And as you read those things, you get a picture of the poor, like, like these are the lower ones. These are the dishonorable ones. And Jesus takes some of those writings, if, I mean, if you're thinking about people reading this and thinking about this, and Jesus takes this and turns it all around, and he starts honoring this woman. She's given all she has to live on. She has nothing left. She puts in two coins, two lepta. And, and if you look at what she gives, scholars would say, what she gives, these two coins are probably worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, denarius is what you would make in one day's of work. Okay, You work one day, you get a denarius. She gave one sixty-fourth. So one coin is one one hundred twenty-eighth. And she gave two coins. That's one sixty-fourth for all you math wizards out there. Um, let's say you made $100 a day at your job. One sixty-fourth of $100 a day is $1.56. So each of their coins, if you want to convert it to American, if we could actually do that, was about 75 cents. Okay? So so $1.56, she's putting in the offering all she has to live on. $1.56. That's it. All she has to live on means she really doesn't have anything else for food. Nothing. And so I say number two, this widow either expects to receive help from God or she expects to die. I love the painting. If you saw the beginning, the very first, the painting that I had up there, um, it shows the widow and she's carrying a a baby. I thought, wow. When I think of poor widow, I think of an older woman. But maybe she was younger. Maybe she had a child and her husband died. We're not told the details of all the the ins and outs of this. All we know is this is what she had to live on and she gives it all. So either she expects to die or she expects God to come through for her. Now, I probably could have worded that in a more theological way. If I would have done that, I might have said something like, this is a woman of great faith and trust. I believe the first expectation is where she's at. Otherwise, you just wouldn't praise her. 
Jesus is praising her because she expects God to come through for her. There, there's a sense that when we serve, you serve in faith knowing that God's going to do something with what you do. That God's going to meet your needs. When you write your check to the church, you're saying, I'm giving this money to this church and that's money that I'm not going to be able to do anything with myself. Okay? I can't pay bills with that money. I can't take that money on vacation with me. I'm giving it somewhere else. So you're trusting in God when you give that He will take care of your needs. When you serve, you serve with the knowledge that Jesus is taking your five loaves and two fish and He's multiplying them, right? Because it's not like any of us have superhuman abilities. We're not walking around like Jesus and and being healed and, and doing these amazing things. But when we serve, we do learn, like the disciples did, that Jesus can take a meager offering of five loaves and two fish and he can multiply it with leftovers. He can take whatever you have, whatever abilities you have, be they administrative, be they musical, be they just showing up and having a set of hands to do something. He can take whatever you have and multiply it and do amazing things with it. But that's a faith thing. You have to serve with faith. And that's the way the widow serves. She gives with faith, knowing God's going to take care of me. God's going to take my two coins and use them for the worship of the temple. He's going to do something with this. And this is all I've got. There's faith involved there. So my question is, do you serve with faith? Do you believe God can multiply your efforts? I remember over Christmas, we went in to visit um, a lady at a nursing home. And I brought my family and we sat down with her. This is a week before Christmas. And we sang some Christmas songs. We read the Christmas story. And And one of my kids read the Christmas story. And then we left. And it, I didn't feel like it was very much. It wasn't even very long. And I barely even caught her there because she had doctor's appointments. So it was kind of a rush to get in there and, and do all this. She died less than a week later. And I, and I remember talking to her family and they said it just meant so much that she had that time to, for, to remember the Christmas story, to sing those songs with you. I'm like, that's the last time she sang a Christmas carol. That's the last time she heard the Christmas story. Now, of course, she's in a place where she's experiencing much greater things, but, but that was so meaningful for me. And I thought, you took that little thing and you made that so special. Do you believe God takes those small things and makes them incredibly special? That's what he does. He takes your five loaves and two fish, multiplies it. He takes your two lepta, your two little coins, and he multiplies it. So watch the budget that's going to go way up this coming Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All right. (laughs) The literal interpretation, right? Um, Okay, so now we're at Jesus' teaching. We're at his pronouncement. He says, I tell you the truth. We're in verse 3. If Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he's about to make an authoritative pronouncement about something he wants the disciples to learn, something he wants us to learn. This is the real deal. This is the main point. This is what he wants you to have this morning. He says, she's given more than all the others. They've given out of wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Let me paraphrase that and say that number three, Jesus proclaims that the greatest giver is the one who makes the greatest sacrifice. 
it's even more astonishing a point if you consider the fact, or maybe not the fact, but, but the possibility that when Jesus says she's given more than, than the rest, he may be saying she's given more than all those rich people combined. Okay, take all of their offerings, put them all together, and she's given more. So either Jesus is lying, or he's saying that the greatest giver, the one who's given the most, is the one who's made the greatest sacrifice. That is the greatest giver. He's elevated the poor to a high place that we all need to emulate, which is something we don't do well, maybe in American society. We emulate the rich. We emulate the success stories. And Jesus said, this widow is a success story. She's given it all. Look at what she's doing, disciples. Emulate her. Be like her. The greatest is the greatest giver. And the greatest giver is the one that makes the greatest sacrifice. When I was at summer camp, when I was in high school, we had an optional evangelism experience in the beautiful town of Lake Geneva. Wonderful place to go for camp, wonderful place to be. Went every year of high school, almost every year of high school I went there. And uh, I, I, wasn't really, I wasn't really excited about sharing my faith in Lake Geneva, cold turkey, going up to people and talking to them. But I had some very spiritual friends that said, Niall, you need to do this. And, and of course, some, I, I had to rise to the occasion and say, okay, we're going to do this. So I went out there and I shared my faith with some people. I don't know that anyone accepted Christ that day. But another friend of mine shared his faith with a teenager, and this teenager gets saved. And we go back to the camp, excited, and we drove a couple cars back from the evangelism site. And I see this guy that got saved, and he came back to camp with us. And I'm like, what is he doing here? Well... He's homeless. He's homeless living on the streets of Lake Geneva. And we're going to serve him by bringing him back and giving him some meals with us and a place to stay. And I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> Is this a good idea? You know, do we even know this guy? We brought him in. I, I think back on that story and I think as a pastor, would I have brought this guy back? I don't know. But, but we did. And, and then he's hanging out with us. He's worshiping with us. He looks homeless. I mean, you, you could pick him out in a crowd and... and then the, the shocking shock of all shocks at the very end of the week, we bring him back to Peoria, Illinois with us. He gets on the bus and we bring him back. And the young guy that shared his faith with him, his family takes this guy in. I mean, serving this young guy. Amazing. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you the life was, was all uphill, for, I mean, all downhill, whatever the expression is. It wasn't all peachy. This guy had some problems and he made mistakes. He made some big mistakes. But as far as I know, he's never given up on his faith in Christ. And his life has changed. And I can't imagine, I mean, being the family that said, we're going to take in a homeless teen off the streets that, that says he believes in Christ. I mean, there's sacrifice there. There's sacrifice there financially. There's a sacrifice of if this kid, we're going to get close to this kid, and if he makes mistakes, which he did, that's going to break our hearts too. You're getting emotionally close to somebody. Those are, those are all sacrificial sorts of things. Those are all big giver sorts of things. And this is what Jesus wants to see in our lives. 
So I can't tell you the way that you need to give big. I can't tell you how you're supposed to give until it hurts, but I can tell you this is what we're called to. The greatest giver is the one who makes the greatest sacrifice. So Jesus tells his disciples this. And then they walk out of the temple. I want you to see what happens when they walk out of the temple. Verse 5. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the, how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, I think about this story about the widow and them walking out right after being taught about the widow and, and, and they're talking to Jesus and, and look at this amazing temple. Look at the stones. Look at the beauty of it. We've just ex- been in the temple experiencing their, that whole thing. And Jesus says, there's going to be a day when, when this temple's going to be knocked down. We know that was Rome coming in and, and knocking everything down. But the widow's gift will be remembered forever. And I think there's something beautiful there. She gave coins that helped pay for the worship of a temple that was going to be demolished. And yet her giving is written in the Bible and is remembered forever. It's part of our scriptures. Two coins. A little bit of a gift. And it's remembered forever. So fourthly, our acts of service will survive the destruction of all things. Jesus says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there's a day coming when our good works, we're going to be standing before God and He's going to set fire to them. None of us have to fear the fires of hell, but there is a day when God's going to take fire and set your good works on fire and see what remains. How did you build, to use the metaphor that Pastor Brian used earlier, how did you build? And some things will be burnt up, and it says some people will, will get through the judgment, but just passing through the flames with a smell of smoke almost. Some of us, on that day, it's going to be like, it's going to be like a house fire. And you make it out, and you're sitting on the curb watching your house burn down with all of the feelings that go into that. You made it out. You made it out. But everything else burned down. And some of us who are, are, are very self-centered and focused, some of us who serve so that people notice us and want to honor us, that's going to be our works burning down because they were self-centered, motivated by greed, motivated by whatever. We're going to be like the scribes and that's not a good thing. We're going to make it but just passing through the flames with the smell of smoke. But those of us that serve Christ, doing it for Him, looking for other people that are in need, we're going to serve. And we're going to build something beautiful through the Spirit's power. And it's going to survive through the fire of Judgment Day. And that's going to be an amazing thing. Your works will go on forever remembered as beautiful acts of service to your Father. And that's what Jesus has called us to. So I want to do a quick three points of application. If you could go there to the last slide, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, 
at the bottom of your notes in your handout, um, just want to say it briefly. How do we sacrifice as a church? How do we keep our promise to the world to serve other people? And, and three ways I could think of that are very important for how we do church. And that is we're going to sacrifice through serving those in need. We're going to sacrifice through serving people in need. You're going to be looking. We as a church have to be looking at the community and saying, what needs do I see? One of the things that I hope to do is when I, when I come in contact with people and I see needs, let's try to mobilize the church to meet those needs. What's going on in our schools? What's going on in our community? Where are the needs? Where are the hurts? Where's that stuff happening? What can we do to help meet those needs? Are we the church that's going to have stories like taking in the homeless teenager? That's a beautiful thing. I, I pray that this church has so many stories like that where we reach out in sacrificial ways to help people. Secondly, we'll sacrifice by getting involved in a ministry of the church. That is, the expectation is that you just don't come here on Sunday and just sing a little bit and hear a sermon and go your way. Our prayer is, and our expectation is, that you get involved in a ministry of the church. There's a whole list of them. I think they're on a yellow piece of paper right out here. There's a whole long list of ministries that we're doing here to try to serve people, try to build up the body of Christ. Get involved. If you're a regular attender here, if you're a member here, that's our expectation for you, that you're serving in some area in the church. Thirdly, we'll sacrifice by giving our tithes and offerings. If you've heard Pastor Brian talk about tithes and offerings, I'm sure you've heard him say, I didn't ask him if he's talked to you about this yet, but I've heard him say that that there is no percentage given in the New Testament because it's not there. We give a portion of all that God has given us. I heard him say that and I wrote that down like, that's it. (laughs) We give God 100%, but out of that 100%, we give a portion directly to the church. Whether you tithe by giving 10% or whether you have a different percentage in mind that's over or below that, you give. You decide in your heart, what has God called me to give? And you give that cheerfully. This is what God has called us to. This is our act of worship. That's why we do it in the worship service, because it is part of worship. So I want to give you just maybe 60 seconds to reflect on the message before we move to communion, and then I'll pray. And I just want you to reflect for a moment on, where am I called to serve? How is my service going? Just reflect for a minute, and then I'll pray. Father, I pray that we are a serving church, a church reaching into the community as your hands and feet. I pray that people notice, not, not really us, but the fact that we represent you. I pray that they make those connections that these people love because they've been loved so well by you. So now, Lord Jesus, move our hearts towards communion as we remember your death. In your name we pray. Amen.